my good people greetings how are you what is happening what's going on how's everybody doing out there hope everybody's feeling well enjoying your time off whether it's post christmas hanukkah kwanzaa or even boxing day for that matter and as we usher out the old that's right the teens and raise the curtain on the new the 20s in just two days I bring you everything that's happening here in the world of sports on the last podcast of the month, of the year, and of the decade here on the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been listening from episode 1 to now 106, I welcome you guys back. Again, it's a Monday, December 30th in the year of our Lord, 2019. New Year's Eve squared, or as most people will call it, New Year's Eve Eve. And the J Reels What's the Deal segment, what's on tap for this podcast, is as follows... We'll have a national champion crowned in two weeks, which is a joke, but the college football playoff is in the books, the doubleheader where LSU dominated over Oklahoma, and you had Clemson in a nail-biter against Ohio State. We'll recap both of those games and look ahead to the national championship, which will take place in two weeks. Also, everything that's happening in Major League Baseball as far as free agency is concerned, we'll touch on that. NBA Christmas Day, some news and notes throughout the association as well as the NHL. We have a Winter Classic in two days. In all places, Dallas, that's right. So we'll touch on that. Also, John Tortorella, he's uh, back in the news for those who uh, love torts and his rants about the refs and anything that's happening in the league. But we'll put a close to the 2019 NFL season, which ended last night in Seattle in a thriller between the Niners and Seahawks, where the Niners will now have the one seed, which will be the fast track to Miami for Super Bowl 54. Obviously, they got to win their two games at home. But better that than to go on the road to Philadelphia to start off their postseason, which the Seattle Seahawks will have to do. And we'll get into all the wildcard breakdown. We'll get into everything that's going on with Black Monday. We already have had coaches fired and others being rumored to be ousted in certain places. But we'll recap week 17 yesterday. And there's just a couple of things that really need to be highlighted here. The first one was the shocker in Foxborough. And I've said this, if you've listened to the podcast, people, and you know me, The Patriots, we understand that they are the Patriots. We get the dynasty, everything that's transpired up in Foxborough since Bill Belichick took over back in 2000. We get that. But the one thing that everybody was going crazy about, after week 8 when the Pats were 8-0 before they went to Baltimore and lost their first game of the year to the Ravens, and everybody was anointing this Patriot defense to be the 85 Bears reincarnate. And what you saw there yesterday was beyond shocking to the extent of Three things. One, just the Patriots melting down on defense there in the last drive of the game when they took the lead there late 24-20. Number two is that Ryan Fitzpatrick, of all people, was the man under center for the Miami Dolphins to lead that comeback to beat the Patriots there 27-24 in Foxborough. And then lastly, and I'll just, not to pick on Stephen Gilmore, because we know he's had a great year. He's going to be first-team All-Pro, you would think. But the way he was abused by Devontae Parker there in the game yesterday, was just inexcusable for a team that knew they had to win to get the two seed because with Kansas City playing at home to the LA Chargers yesterday, and even though the Chargers tried to make make of a game of it early, but right before the half, they gave up a touchdown, and they certainly couldn't recover from that. But the Patriots, just in unbelievable fashion, and that was, to me, the news of the day, because you all know the Patriots, they've had buys from here till it seems like the beginning of the century. In essence, it's been the last 10 years. The last time they actually played in a wild card round was back in 2009 when they lost to the Ravens there. Most famous, that opening play of the the game with Ray Rice rushing 80 yards 
And it seemed like the Patriots had to play catch-up all day and could not stop the Ravens for whatever the reason. And the since then, the Patriots have not played in the wildcard round since. Well, guess what? They'll be playing in the wildcard round this coming weekend against the Tennessee Titans. And we'll get to the Titans in a minute. But the Patriots right now, and I'm it's not going out on a limb by any stretch. And I understand you cannot count them out. You cannot bury them. You can only hope to chop the head off and then the body will fall after that. But I'm going to say that the Patriots will not make it to the Super Bowl this year. They're going to play a Tennessee team, which is right now, uh, they've been up and coming. They've been probably the most underrated story in the last five, six weeks of the NFL season. They have been on nobody's radar up until recently. And when you have a dominant running game where Derrick Henry rushed for 211 yards in the closeout game to propel them to secure that sixth seed, to get them into the postseason. And with Ryan Tannehill, who not everybody's going to be in love with, and he certainly doesn't do it pretty, but you got to give him credit. He did the job here over the last six weeks. And Mike Vrabel, the former Patriot who won a couple of Super Bowls, is going back home to Foxborough to go up against the old teacher. And that's going to be a fascinating game from that regard to see what Belichick's going to do to slow down Derrick Henry. Because as we all know, that's going to be the number one focus all week. And I get that everybody's going to count New England out, every, everybody west of Foxborough, and rightfully so. Because this team, the way they performed, they've been very inconsistent offensively down the stretch. They certainly haven't been very impressive. And we all know that they turn it on the postseason, and it's almost a wait-and-see deal. But now that they have to host a game in their building, which will be Saturday night, 8-15, for the world to see, and even if they squeak by or dominate that game, chances are they're going to have to go to Kansas City and then to Baltimore just to get to Miami to play in Super Bowl 54 to defend their crown. And right now, that is looking like a, an insurmountable task. I can't see that happening. I'll actually be shocked if that's the case. Because what you saw from the Patriots there yesterday as far as their defense is concerned... And then obviously, offensively, they certainly don't have the skilled position players that they once had. I don't need to go through the names. You've watched the Patriots over the years. Julian Edelman, it looks like he's running on fumes right now. And do you really trust Nkeel Harry and guys like that to come up in a big spot? Even Philip Dorsett to a certain degree. I guess you trust him more than others. But still, this Patriot team, just like Julian Edelman, as I mentioned a minute ago, right now they're certainly running on fumes. And you got to wonder, and this is for a topic another day, conversation to certainly broach, especially once their season ends, but could this be it for the Brady-Belichick regime over the last 20 years? And right now, with the way it's looking, they may get past Tennessee, and we'll talk a little bit more about that game later on, but when you look at what's happened, I I cannot see this team going past the divisional round. Would I be surprised if they lose here in the first round? We'll talk about that a little bit later. But going back to yesterday, week 17, so you had that. You had Tennessee winning their game, which obviously sets their matchup with New England there on Saturday night. The other big news of yesterday was that Niners uh, Seahawks game where the Niners looked like they were in control, 13-0, 19-7, 26-14. Beast mode is back in the mix as far as a running back is concerned as they had... All their running backs just drop like flies, whether your name is Chris Carson, CJ Proceis, uh, just everybody was on the shelf. So they had to dig up 
Marshawn Lynch, who contributed with a touchdown there. And then the Valiant comeback falling short there at the goal line where when you look at how that final, and I'll just go to the final drive. When you look at how that unfolded and how they got there, a 4th and 12 that they had to make there at the, what was it? Uh, Sorry, 4th and 10 at the 12-yard line and they get that pass there completed right at the goal line to a guy that nobody's even heard of, a rookie. And then what, what happened afterwards, I thought it was smart for them to spike the ball there. I know Collinsworth made a mention that, hey, why don't you just try to sneak it in and take it from there. But remember, they had no timeouts. That would have been highly risky. Let's say they would have got stuff. By the time you reset, then you spike the ball, you would have taken more time off the clock. So to me, it was smart to do that. But then the bonehead play of the game, and this you got to blame the quarterback, is the delay of game that they took there at second and goal. How did that happen? And they didn't even walk up to the line of scrimmage. It was almost as if they were so excited that they completed the pass, that, that Wilson completed that pass. They got there to the one-inch line pretty much and then spiked the ball that he almost forgot where he was and what was going on at that juncture of the game. So when Wilson, I'm sure he's trying to get the play call in, you know, from his headset and he couldn't even get set at the line of scrimmage. By the time the whistle blew and the flag was in the air, they weren't even up at the line of scrimmage ready to snap the ball. So what happened there with Wilson? Now, I didn't watch the post game to find out what did take place because that was inexcusable. So, of course, that pushed him back to the six-yard line. And as we saw what happened there at the end, the final play of the game, where the tight end catches the ball and he gets hit and he was an inch short. And the Niners, who, let's face it, if it would have been a situation where the Niners would have lost that game for a young team like that, their psyche, that could have been a loss that would have reverberated throughout the rest of this postseason because they would have had to go on to Philly and then they would have had to go on all the way to the Super Bowl on the road. Not to say that they couldn't have made it or wouldn't have made it, but it certainly would have been tough to have to swallow a division loss, losing in the final seconds in a game that they certainly had no business losing and then having to take their talents on the road to try to get to a Super Bowl with a season that had so much promise and everybody thought that they were the best team in the NFC. Well, They were able to stop that last play. They have the number one seed. They're going to have home cooking here over the next couple of weeks to where they'll host their first playoff game Saturday at 4.30 on January the 11th. And let's see if they have what it takes to win those two games at home to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. So that's what we got there from that game last night. And then the other game was Philly and the Giants with Philly winning. The Cowboys ran away there late against the Redskins there to a 47-16 game final for Jason Garrett and company. I'll get to him in a minute. But as far as the Eagles were concerned, after taking the lead 17-10, was kind of nip-tucked back and forth. And then Saquon Barkley had the long touchdown run to make it 17 up. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, geez, this is where the Eagles may fold. But the championship medal did rise to the occasion there. They're able to put away the game at that point. And let's face it, they've done it with Scott Tape and Bubblegum. We know who's been in that lineup, who's out of that lineup. And Carson Wentz, who I understand everybody in Philadelphia, they may have a little bit of doubt when it comes to him, considering over the last couple of years with Nick Foles being the hero in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and then even last year with their brief but very successful postseason run. And the Eagles right now at 9-7 and seven will be hosting 
the Seattle Seahawks in the Saturday, um, excuse me, in the Sunday window, which will be at 440. It's actually a rematch of the regular season game where the Seahawks won in Philadelphia 17-3. And then to put the bet on a couple other things for yesterday, I know Jameis Winston became the first player in NFL history to throw 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions in the same season. He also threw for 5,100 yards, which who would have thought that Jameis Winston, a guy who was a number one pick, and we all know highly touted coming out of Florida State, even with all the baggage that he had, that he completes his rookie contract with stats that are certainly for the fantasy heads, but at the same time, at 7-9, and nine, not coming anywhere close to a postseason, is he a guy that you want to write down a nine-figure contract for and push it across the table for him to sign? So that's what Tampa's going to have this coming offseason to deal with as far as their franchise quarterback is concerned. You had that. You also had the Saints with a game yesterday that they won 42-10, and I know everybody in New Orleans... Certainly had a lot of uggs and grunts and groans because if the Seahawks would have won that game last night, the Saints would have been the one seed in the NFC and certainly would have been able to try to get back to where they were last year when they lost that just excruciating game to the Rams in the NFC title game. Although they will host the game here in the wildcard round, but they're going to have to go on the road, barring a miracle of some sorts where the seeds below them meet them in the NFC championship game. So that was a tough blow for the Saints and their fans. Uh, Everything else in the league, there's not much to talk about. If anything, if there was a very, very minor victory for me, it was the Jaguars beating the Colts because I had the Colts at uh, under 7.5 for my over-unders this year. And I was 3-3, and certainly nothing to write home about. So I was average when it comes to that. But that was a a little silver lining there. But the non-silver lining for me, and let's cut right to it, and I'll just spend two minutes on it, was the Steelers... Losing to the Ravens, especially with the way they did, got buried on the ground again. Almost 40 minutes time of possession for the Ravens there. Gus Edwards had a huge game on the ground. RG3 did nothing as far as his arm is concerned. He did make some plays with his legs, kind of revisiting his 2012 form when he was with the Redskins. And the Steelers go out with a whimper here to the tune of 30 points over the last three games. We knew that they were going to be challenged offensively despite the fact that during the middle of the season when they started to make their run against bad teams. I get that they beat the Colts and the Colts were good at that time and even the Rams when the Rams were, you know, they finished above 500. But the Steelers certainly couldn't get out of their own way after winning in Arizona to a 23-17 tune. They were only able to muster 10 points in each of these final three games, losing the Buffalo where they could have won on the final drive. But the Jet game is going to be one that sticks with you because... The Jets, as we know, certainly played spoiler. And if they could have won that game, now they would have lost yesterday and it would have been out of the postseason. So that didn't matter. But that's the one that's going to stick with you all this uh, offseason if you're a Steeler fan. And what you're going to look forward to, Ben Roethlisberger made it clear in his post-Christmas tweet where he said he's going to be back better, stronger than ever for 2020, which is fantastic. And it's music to the Steeler fans' ears. Because right now, who is your quarterback of the future for this team? And you only hope that's going to be the case with Ben because he's going to be 38 next year. We know he's taken a lot of hits over the years. And now with this elbow injury, we don't know how effective his arm's going to be, his arm strength. Is he going to be more of a dink and dunk guy? Are we going to see Peyton Manning in his final year with Denver as far as his arm is concerned? All of that remains to be seen. So is the backup on this roster now or are they going to have to go elsewhere? 
That's going to be the big question. And on top of that, this is going to be a team moving forward that's going to be more defensive-oriented. Because as you've seen, more so in the middle of the year when they were winning these games, the defense certainly took over. And you look at these final three games here. Now, I understand yesterday got away. The key part point of the game there was at 9-7 with that fumble there late, right before the half, and they punched it in for a touchdown. And then at that point, the Steelers were just dead in the water. So that was the key there. And obviously, Delvin Hodges, although he filled in admirably, but he is not the answer for this team moving forward. He's just not. So when the Steelers now, when you're looking ahead, and this is, like I said, it's going to be a back to its defensive roots. You saw what they were able to do throughout the course of the year, especially in the middle part of the year, but they weren't able to get turnovers in key spots here in these final three games. And that's, I'm not going to say that's what doomed them because really their offense is what pretty much cratered them to be out of the postseason this year. But when you look at what they need to do, they need to get a running game because in case if Roethlisberger doesn't come back 100% or once he does retire, we understand they may be in the wilderness for years to come when it comes to a quarterback, but as long as the offensive line is intact and they have a stout running game, they can't even have a decent running game. If they have a stout running game, then who knows? Maybe the defense will be the one to prevail and take them to a championship. But that's what you have there if you're a Steeler fan. And even though they would have gone nowhere in the postseason. Now, could you imagine they would have been they would have been playing New England and they wouldn't have had a shot in hell if you ask me. And it would have been one and done. But with that even being said, it was good that they didn't make the postseason this year because it would have been an embarrassment. Tennessee at least is going to be a formidable opponent. You got some storylines there with Vrabel going back against Belichick. Obviously, Derrick Henry and what he's done this year on the ground. So uh, it's going to be a much more competitive game for Tennessee to be than in Pittsburgh. I told her it was to it. So that's what you got there for your week 17 stuff. Now, as we look ahead, well, before we get to wild card weekend, today is Black Monday in the NFL, which means that the coaches who were certainly on the hot seat or walking the plank have finally either jumped off or the seat got too hot that they, of course, burned right off. And the first one right out the gate and smartly for the Cleveland Browns and their fans was Freddie Kitchens. He had to go. It was just an atrocious year. 6-10. and 10. They lose the final game in Cincinnati. Zero excuses for all the talent that was on that team. And all you could say, he may be the nicest guy in the world. He may be a very good offensive coordinator, but uh, he certainly couldn't cut it as a coach. And it'll be interesting to see where the Browns go as far as a coach is concerned here in this uh, upcoming offseason. Now, the Giants just also terminated a one-patch Shermer, who he had to go as well. Certainly wore out his welcome with the media a little bit. And obviously you can't blame everything on the coach because you look at a rookie quarterback who had his moments this year but certainly couldn't hold on to the football at times. You had Saquon Barkley who certainly had a down year for him despite the fact that he had two great games to close out his season. The defense was in shambles. But again, Shermer, his record says it all. What was it? His last few years, 9-23. and 23. It's certainly inexcusable for a very proud franchise and you would think that John Mara and Steve Tish and company certainly have to go back to the drawing board to bring in somebody who's going to resuscitate this franchise because they talk about being out in the wilderness. They are certainly lost without a compass. And Ron Rivera, who a lot of people thought was going to be on the Giants' radar because of his association with the GM, Dave Gettleman, who is actually staying as of today, Ron Rivera looks like he's going to be the next coach of the Washington Redskins because they also fired their president, Bruce Allen, They're looking for a complete overhaul and bringing in a guy like Rivera is certainly going to do wonders 
for the Redskins as they try to get themselves back to any type of semblance there in the, in the NFC East. So that's what you have there with the coaches as of right now that have been terminated. Other than that, I'm just trying to see if anybody else has been let go. I know the big one, and everybody's going to talk about this, is what's going to happen in Dallas over the course of the next few days. Now, Jerry Jones didn't say anything last night, which is it's just right, and that's fine. So he was mum on that. But he has to be swift here. He certainly can't look at what took place this year, whether he wants to point excuses, you know, point at certain players or... Not that he would ever do that. This all falls on the head coach. And you have not made it to the postseason here this year, which was a lot of people even predicted to go to the Super Bowl. And for them to fall short the way they did, and especially, they, I mean, they had the division wrapped up. Even with all the losses that they had in these final few weeks, all they had to do was win in Philadelphia last week, and that would have been it. And they couldn't even do that. So for Jerry Jones, he needs to look in the mirror and say, he's got to make a change. And... I'm sure that Jason Garrett is like a son to him. I'm sure that their relationship is fantastic. But one thing is for sure, you cannot mix business with pleasure. And for the last 10 years, he has certainly done that with his coach. So guess what? It is time to say goodbye. And I'm sure every Cowboy fan in America feels the same way. So he has to do that in the coming days because you figure coaches are going to be plucked, whether from college or whomever else is going to be out there as far as the NFL is concerned. And one Mike McCarthy in particular not to say McCarthy's going to go to Dallas, but you get my drift. He certainly is going to have to act very swiftly here in order to bring in the next coach of the Cowboys to try to bring them to the promised land for the first time. And if you can never, can't believe it when I even say this, that they haven't won a Super Bowl in a quarter of a century. Think about that. Dallas Cowboys. So he got that there. Also, Doug Marone was asked about his job yesterday. The Jacksonville coach, he said, asked if he was concerned and he said yes. And considering that Tom Coughlin was let go, what was it, just last week or a couple weeks back, you would think that Shad Khan, the owner, is also going to do a house cleaning there because you might as well start over. And who knows if even Nick Foles is going to be back considering that he just signed that big contract last offseason, four years, $88 million. I believe he had a pretty big signing bonus. Who knows? They may probably going to have to eat that if all of his guaranteed money wasn't paid already. That's their problem and their issue to deal with. But he's another guy that could be on the outs when it comes to a coach and a position that's certainly going to be open there quite possibly in Jacksonville. So that's what we got there. I'm looking for any other latest news and notes. Now, nothing else as far as that's concerned. So that's what we have and up to the second Black Monday coaching carousel. And if you're the Giants, real quick, here locally, I don't know who that guy is. I know you're going to hear Matt Rule's name from Baylor, the coach there who a lot of people thought the Giants should have hired a couple of years ago. He has ties with the Giants going way back. And who knows? That could be the guy. You don't have to pay him that much. Offensive mind, he could certainly work with Daniel Jones. And away we go. I'm sure Giant fans would be pretty happy with that. Maybe they'd want to have Mike McCarthy. I don't know. I guess McCarthy would be the safe, easy bet considering his resume, ton of playoffs, his relationship with Aaron Rodgers, especially during those playoff years, including a Super Bowl win. And... I don't know if the Giants want to go that route. Remains to be seen. But you have that out there. Or if they want to go with the younger candidate or the first-time candidate in a Coach Matt Rule. So we'll certainly keep our eyes on that. But as we get to the storylines, before I even get to the wild card weekend, I'm going to get to the top storylines here. Which to me, they're threefold. The first one I tweeted this yesterday. Considering that the Ravens won 
and ended up 14-2 and and they won the last 12 games. Can they run the table and win 15 straight, which will culminate in a Super Bowl victory? As crazy as this may sound, if that's the case and Lamar Jackson, who's going to be the MVP of the league, and they continue their dominance where they, to the tune of rushing for 220 to 260 yards a game here in this postseason, I don't, see that, I don't think it's going to happen. But if that does happen where they hoist their third Lombardi trophy going back to the year 2000 and second one well, won't be, eh, you know, it will be of this decade because even though the game will be played in 2020, but it's the 2019 season, it'll be their second Super Bowl here in this decade. You would have to think that there would be an argument for one of the top teams of all time. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to be a top 10 team. I'm not going to say that they're going to be ranked in the top five. No, but a lot of people are going to look at as dominant of a year that Lamar Jackson had, an MVP, 15 in a row to end the season. It certainly has to be up there. But, and I've said this a million times, people, if you listen to the podcast, they, are, they may rush one game for close to 200 yards, and they may even rush for over 200 yards. But watching that Steeler game yesterday, and even with RG3, I do not understand why they did not stack eight in the box, or even nine for that matter, and just have one-on-one with the receivers. Because we all know the Raven offense is not tailored to throw to the wide receiver. It's either run the ball or throw to the tight end. And they'll screen occasionally when Mark Ingram is there, and who knows if he's going to be ready to go. I'm sure he says he will be come the divisional round in two weeks. But when you look at how run-dominant this team is, and obviously everything is predicated on the run, and whatever they do in the passing game is going to the tight end, obviously I'm not a defensive coordinator. Obviously I've never been on an NFL sideline coaching. But the eye test, people, is what you watch. It's what you observe. And as a fan, from afar, you see this. And I understand you have to have the personnel too. I get it. You can't have second string. You can't have guys who can't tackle. You got to have fast guys. Especially, you need to have speed on your defense to catch guys like Lamar Jackson or even Mark Ingram. Not that he's a fast guy, but obviously he's very punishing. And Gus Edwards is a big load. So he's going to be tough to bring down. But still, I, I don't understand why defensive coordinators certainly haven't been able to key on being able to slow down the run attack let alone stop it. Because I don't think you could stop that running attack because you just don't know from one play to the next who's getting the ball. And obviously, for more often than not, you're going to see Lamar Jackson run down the sideline for 60 yards and then you scratch your head and you got to start all over again. Well, what you're going to have to do, people, is if you're a defensive coordinator, whomever that is, hopefully you start looking at the tape. We don't know who Baltimore's playing just yet. So that's what's going to be fascinating. And to me, that's storyline number one. Can they run the table there to the end of the season to win a Super Bowl? I'm going to say no, only because I got to see Lamar Jackson do this and company. I got to see him do this in January because their first game is going to be January 11th at 8.15. What if that night it's 20 degrees with a wind chill and the single digits, there's 20 mile an hour winds, so he can't really throw the ball. And then on top of that, they're stacking whomever they, they face, they're stacking eight, nine in the box. And they slowed down that run game. And next thing you know, it's 10-3 in the third quarter. And the Ravens have to throw the ball when they like to dictate when to throw the ball. That's what's going to be the fascinating thing. So I'm going to say no here. But that's why they play the games. That's uh, storyline number one. The second storyline, it could, probably could be 1A. And I said this before, is the Patriots. Will they be able to go back to the Super Bowl? Considering now that they're in the wild card round for the first time in 10 years. And could this be the end of the Brady-Belichick era? You heard all about the reports or the rumors. I can't say reports. The rumors about Brady possibly 
not being on the team next year. They signed him to big money, so he's going to be a free agent after this year. We all know, come the start of next season, he's going to be 43 years old. He has slowed down a little bit. We get that he didn't have his big weapons around him. You know, no Gronks and players of that ilk. But at the same time, as much as he wants to play to 45, New England, as it's constituted right now, there's no way they're going to pay Brady another $25 million for one year and hope to see if they could get lightning in a bottle one last time. So... Do they go out and draft a quarterback this year? Obviously, this is a discussion for another day, but still, you would think that this is going to be it for the Patriots, and I'm sure a lot of it's going to be talked about this week where everybody's going to count them out, considering how they played here down the stretch. And then the third thing is, I could point this at the Niners, but to me, it's not about the Niners. I look at it more as the Saints. How them not getting the home field yesterday, and I'm sure that they must have been disgusted knowing that Seattle couldn't punch that final touchdown there to end the game. But I'm going to say New Orleans only because they were so close last year. And they have a quarterback that's long in the tooth. Now, is he still going to be effective for the next couple of years? I think he can be. But he's also shown, I'm not going to say rust, but he's also shown that he's uh, slowed down a little bit. So is this going to be the last big opportunity for one Drew Brees that if he goes out with a Super Bowl victory here and it would be at the same place where he won 10 years ago, that would certainly put the cherry on top, and I'm sure he would ride off into the sunset with that. But the Saints, for as good as they've been this year, and even when the time that Breeze was out for the five, six weeks with his thumb, and Teddy Bridgewater took over and certainly did a, an admirable job in doing so, and everything that they had to fight tooth and nail, scratch and claw, had a bad loss against the Falcons earlier in the season, and here they were just literally two inches away from being a one, number one seed. How are they going to fare having the wild card game at home, but then having to go on the road afterwards to get to a Super Bowl. And as of right now, if they were to win their game, they would go to Green Bay. And we know they're a dome team. When they're in their building, they're riding high. They're playing great. And you would think that if they're going to go to Green Bay, it's going to be probably a 18-degree day with a wind chill, probably single digits, if not below zero. And the Saints... In their history, and I'm not just talking picking on Drew Brees here, but in their history, have not played well in cold weather. Just a little nugget for you as you look forward to this NFL postseason. Because other than that, I, I can't really. Though, to me, those are the top storylines. Yeah, can the Niners make it to the Super Bowl? Yeah, they can. Of course, not in their one seed, but let's see if they can. They're a young team. Yeah, they do have some veterans, of course, sprinkled in. But can Jimmy Garoppolo do the job? I'm not saying that the Niners have house money by any stretch because they are one seed and they are expected to go at least to a championship game. But if they lose in a championship game, would you be shocked? No. Now, if they lost in the first round, that would be pretty bad. But when you look at that, can the Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl? Absolutely. But if they lose in Baltimore, nobody's going to look at them and be disappointed. Now, if they have the game at home, if Baltimore gets picked off in the divisional round and then the Chiefs have the home field for the rest of the playoffs. Then if they lose that game, and that's, a, of course, when we get to that bridge, then we'll certainly go over it at that time. But that's certainly not a storyline, if you ask me. But I will say this. If anybody can beat Baltimore this year, I'm sure the Raven fan right now, they do not want to see Kansas City. And if they do see him, it's going to be in the championship game, which would be fascinating. And I actually think it would be 10 times more fascinating than if New England went, because that would mean New England would go to Kansas City Let's say avenge their loss from earlier this season. Although you know Kansas City is going to want to get the revenge from last year in the championship game. But the last thing I want to see. Five, six weeks ago you couldn't say this. But I do not want to see New England in Baltimore. 
because Baltimore will just run all over them. And that's not to say Kansas City has a stout defense. They do not by any stretch. But at the same time, Kansas City has a firepower that can match up against Lamar Jackson and their Baltimore even offense. Different styles, of course. But obviously, they have a ton of weapons and they can certainly keep pace with the with the Ravens. And not only that, but they have just enough on the defensive side that I think it could hold them. Now, they beat them way back in what, week four. As a matter of fact, their last loss, the Ravens, was to the Chiefs back in week four. But two totally different teams, two to- totally different times. But again, until we get there, we'll certainly discuss it at that time. All right, now let's move on to the wild card weekend. We can finally preview that and take a look ahead to the divisional round as to what times and who's going to play where. Kind of give you a tip as to who's going to play on the Saturday games, but as far as Sunday, we have not covered that. So the AFC right now in this wildcard weekend, it's pretty bad. I get that Pittsburgh probably would have brought a few more eyeballs to the sets, but at the same time, as I stated earlier, Pittsburgh would have been a bad matchup, and they're always a bad matchup even if everybody was healthy when they play against the Patriots. But when you look at these four teams, we'll start with the Saturday 4.30 game, which is Buffalo at Houston. Buffalo, as you know, took the week off here. They lost to the Jets there yesterday up at Orchard Park. Now, I think they're playing with house money. They don't want to do what they did two years ago when they lost in Jacksonville, a close game. I believe it was 10-3 off the top of my head. I'm sure they're much better now than they were then. No Josh Allen at the time. I believe the quarterback was E.J. Manuel or maybe Tyrod Taylor. But Houston, they have to get out of their own way here. They always seem to stub their toe unless they're playing the Bengals which they've usually beaten in their first round. But when you look over the years, when they played these games, they always lose, whether it was to Kansas City one time. Last year in the opening round, they were blitzed by Indianapolis, I believe 21 nothing by the midway through the second quarter. They certainly couldn't get out of their way. And Deshaun Watson right here, this is a big moment for him. I understand it's more on their coach because I'm not in love with Bill O'Brien, but... Deshaun Watson, not to say he has to take another step here, but it will certainly be, as far as his progression is concerned, this is a big game. He has to win this game. I think if he goes in there and he puts up a stink bomb and they lose 20-10, to 10, a lot of it's going to fall on him. Now, if they end up losing a close game, 24-21, and he plays well, then all you could do is just credit him and probably the defense was the one that spit it up for him. But I would think that Houston at home, I don't know what the spread is, But Houston should win this game. I know Buffalo's defense is a little bit more feisty. And Buffalo can make plays. uh, Very few with Josh Allen, especially with his legs and his arm. But I I just see Houston eking out a close game here. And if again, if Watson has a bad game here, this would be a step back for him as far as his progression in his career is concerned. As far as the Saturday night game, everybody's probably going to count the Patriots out here. Now, we understand the game's at home. And I'm sure there's going to be the last sentiment, thinking that this could be their last go-around as everything I've uh, declared earlier. But Tennessee, I can see them putting up a good fight. And Tennessee in this first round, remember two years ago, they were down 21-3 in Kansas City. Now, mind you, this is not Kansas City. And we know Andy Reid has had a history of bad playoff losses. But uh, I would think they'll be feisty and Vrabel. I'm sure this would mean a lot to him and the organization to win the playoff game. Remember, Wizenhunt was the coach of the or excuse me, Mike Malarkey was the coach of the Titans when they last won in Kansas City. And then the following week, they actually, I believe, went to New England and lost. So over the years, New England has certainly had Tennessee's number in the postseason. I could see this being one more victory for them. And as I've said before, 
Derrick Henry is going to be the focal point of Bill Belichick's desire right here because he doesn't want, he'd rather have Tannehill throw for 400 yards than to have Derrick Henry chew up the clock, rush for anywhere between 130 to 160 yards and have the Patriots go home and then everything that's going to spiral out of control as far as the new cycle up there with Brady, even maybe Belichick to a certain extent. So I would think the Patriots will hold on. As far as the Sunday games are concerned, the first one is Viking Saints. This is going to be fascinating from this regard. You had the Minneapolis Miracle two years ago where uh, Stephon Diggs caught that ball with, what is it, 10 seconds left. And we all know what happened there. There should be some payback, you would think, from the Saints. And as I mentioned earlier, this could be another last hurrah for one Drew Brees. As far as this team, the way it's constructed, and the Saints are at home. Vikings can play in that type of condition as well. You know they play in a, an indoor building. And the everything is Kirk Cousins. I got to see it here. We talked about how Kirk Cousins in the past, whether it's September, October, even into November, is very good. But when you get to late November and into December, when the games are that much more bigger, Kirk Cousins doesn't seem to shine. And I'm going to go with that. I understand my man Kevin and even my uh, guy in Minnesota, Jason there, who's certainly the staunch Viking fans that they are, but uh, this is going to be a tough spot for them. And again, Saints have waited all year just to get back to the playoffs, let alone hopefully if they get back to a championship game where they could redeem from what happened last year. So uh, I believe this could also be another close game, but I could see the Saints pulling this one out probably late. And then the Seahawks and Eagles, again, this is a rematch. In fact, this is the only one of the four games because I don't believe Bills did not play the Texans. Titans did not play the Patriots. Vikings did not play the Saints this year off the top of my head. And then the Eagles and Seahawks is a rematch from a game that was maybe about five, six weeks ago. Seattle, with all of their moxie and veteran leadership, of course, led by Russell Wilson. And the Eagles, who have won four in a row, they've made it into the postseason. Do they have one more game in them to at least have their fans send off and say, hey, it was a rough year. We probably didn't deserve to win the division considering Dallas had done everything to throw it back to them, but they did what they needed to do. Do they have one more win left in them? And they probably do, but I think it's going to take a Herculean effort, even at home. And who knows? Sometimes with these games, when a team goes in their building in a regular season, come postseason, it's a different story. I can see this being another low-scoring game, tooth and nail, but I can see the Seahawks prevail. And remember, the Seahawks were in the same spot last year as a 5C going to Dallas, and they lost that game. Two years in a row, can it happen? Quite possibly. But who knows, if Marshawn Lynch does anything in this game, if he's able to eat up some clock, you're not expecting a lot from him considering he's been off the whole year. But you would figure for goal line situations, and especially your third and ones and third and twos, they're just going to hand the ball off to Marshawn, and you would think that as much as they were going to need first downs on the road, who knows what the weather will be like. I like the Seahawks to prevail here. And when you look at the following week, the divisional round is as follows. The first game at 4.30 will be San Francisco hosting whomever. It'll either be the 4, 5, and 6 seed. You have the Ravens then in the nightcap on Saturday. Same deal. One seed, they'll host either the 4, 5, or 6 seed, whomever that may be. And then the Sunday games, you have the Chiefs will be the first game. Now, interestingly, they moved the game up. Usually in the division round and the wild card round, as you'll see this week, the wild card is 1 and 440. They moved the divisional round to 3 o'clock 
and 640, which is what they've done for the championship games for the conference going back to, I believe, 2002. So what they did was they want to have a little bit more of a primetime effect here, and that would be a Fox game where the Packers will have the nightcap at 640 and the Chiefs the first game at 305. So a little bit of a different take there as far as your afternoon is concerned. So at least you have your morning into early afternoon to kind of do whatever you need to do, food shop or errands, whatever it may be. So it's not as if you're going to miss kickoff at 1 o'clock at Kansas City. So you have that. And then obviously the championship of the, each conference the following week and then the Super Bowl there February 2nd. So that's your NFL people. As I know I took up pretty much uh, 40 minutes plus to start us off. But as we all know now, it'll start to slow down. We don't have to worry about reseason. Uh, we won't have to worry about season recaps. We won't have to worry about probably some news and notes with coaches. But it'll be all about the playoff games here moving forward. And to think there's now 12 teams left. But 11 games to go. And I understand that the Super Bowl is a spectacle unto itself. So when you look at the Super Bowl, it's a thing where, yes, is it a game? Of course, it's to crown the champion. But at the same time, it's a big event. Everybody comes over. You know the whole deal. Really, when you think about it, there's 10 football games left. And the best of the lot would be the divisional round. Wild card round isn't great, although the NFC is a lot better than the AFC. And then the divisional round is going to be spectacular. So uh, we'll certainly see how it all unfolds here over the course of this coming weekend and obviously moving forward. Now, as far as the college football is concerned, you had the college football playoff there Saturday, which was one game was a nail biter and the other one was just a snooze fest. And to cover that one first, what could you say about the LSU Tigers? The Joe Burrow Magic Carpet Ride continues. It also, To me, it all started with the Alabama game. Then the Georgia blowout there in the SEC Championship. And then yesterday, or two days ago, I should say, you had just uh, an epic performance. Probably the best, arguably, the best bowl performance or at least college football bowl performance that you've ever seen. I look at Vince Young and what he did to USC back in 2005 in the Rose Bowl. But this one, when you have 450 yards and seven touchdowns in the first half, now I don't know if that's more of an indictment on Oklahoma's defense or just the greatness of Joe Burrow that we've seen here in 2019. But the LSU Tigers just cruised 63-28. And to think, it was actually tied at seven at first, and then from there, it just took off. Oklahoma was nowhere to be found. Jalen Hurts had a nightmare game. And we understand Hurts had a big year, was up for a Heisman Trophy, but Joe Burrow showed him that, hey, not only he deserved to win, but even showed that he didn't belong on the same field. That's how bad Jalen Hurts was. You know, that's pretty much all you have to report about that game because there was nothing else to really detail as far as the LSU dominance over Oklahoma. And then the Clemson-Ohio State game was fascinating on many levels. The thing that if you're an Ohio State fan that you're just going to be kicking yourself throughout the whole winter and into spring is that you had a 16-0 lead when in essence it should have been 24-0. And even at 24-0, or if you even want to take one of those touchdowns back where you had Dobbins who had the catch there in the end zone but didn't complete the football play, which that led to a field goal. And then even later on, the other field goal where you had the wide receiver, the ball hit off his helmet, that if he just moved another inch, he would have caught that. That would have been a touchdown. And instead of 24-0 at least, it was 16-0. And then you had... Clemson worked their magic there, especially right before the end of the first half, culminating by Trevor Lawrence's 67-yard run, looking like Lamar Jackson in a way. 
But the Clemson Tigers, who of course we know defending their national title, looking for their third title in four years, but here they are down a touchdown, or I should say down two points going into the second half. And then the second half begins, they're able to get the touchdown, but then of course you had the controversy that surrounded around the one play where the ball was caught and then a football move was made. Ball was fumbled, recovered, in for a touchdown there for Ohio State. A lot of people thought that, oh, this could be the turnaround, turning point of the game. Went to the replay, no good. They called it an incomplete pass, which is a tough call. Uh, Those are such tough calls. Did I think that it was a football play? Both feet were down, and college is a little bit different from the pros from that regard because obviously with the way the rules are, whether it's all you need is one foot in bounds if you're on a sideline play or in a play like that. If that was the NFL, that would have been incomplete without question. But with college, it's really close. Clemson had the ball. They were able to go ahead and certainly put up points later on, even after when Ohio State made it 23-21. to And a lot of people thought they probably should have went for two there at 22-21 just to make it a 24-21 game, which, listen, you could argue. But a lot of people thought, and I'm sure they probably thought that, hey, Clemson was going to go in for the winning score there late in the game. And of course, you saw that there with Lawrence, where it looked like he was ready to run, then he had a jump pass. And uh, Trevor Etienne, who has just been phenomenal throughout the whole year, and obviously in this game with his legs. And Trevor Lawrence did not have a big game. He did not have a game where you... wasn't last year against Alabama in the championship. So for him, he was definitely subpar. But when you need to make four or five plays in the game... And obviously he did that. That's all you need in order to win a national title, or in this case, the college football playoff semifinal. And then you had the final drive there with Ohio State and Justin Fields, and you kind of thought to yourself, even when they had that touchdown there with seven minutes to go, it almost looked like he was going back to the well there at the closing moments of that game, where it looked like he had somebody wide open, but obviously the receiver went left when he should have gone right. And then, of course, it was picked off there in the end zone. And Clemson lives to see another day and will face LSU in the national championship game, which is two weeks from tonight, which is a disgrace because that should be next Monday. You know, for that, if that's the case, they might as well should have played this on President's Day. So that's what you have there for as far as the college football is concerned. I won't even get into LSU Clemson right now as far as predictions as we get closer. As a matter of fact, on the day of the game, I'll have more of a better prediction. And more thoughts about it. And right now, LSU is looking like the more dominant team, of course. And it looks like they're on a path for a national title. But Clemson, they showed the heart of a champion there. You know, down 16 nothing, and it could have been worse and should have been worse. And they were able to hang on and make plays that they need. And even when Trevor Lawrence was not at his best, it just goes to show you that the team knows how to win. And that's what LSU, if you're an LSU fan, no, no matter how much you could puff your chest out, oh, look who did to Oklahoma and embarrass them and so on and so forth. But... That team over there knows how to win. And that's all I'll say about that. And I will talk about that more as we get closer to the championship game. Now, let's see. If I turn my attention here, uh, NBA, you don't only have much. I know Christmas Day was pretty much a flop. Celtics beating Toronto the way they did. Philly beating Milwaukee. You had the Warriors and Rockets, which was the upset of the day. And the Warriors played well. The Laker-Clipper game was as advertised. I know LeBron hurt his groin in the game. And a lot of people were thinking, oh, geez, they harken back to last Christmas when they had that groin injury against the... Now, it was the other groin, so it wasn't as excruciating for him. But the Lakers 
Couldn't pull it up, you know, pull, couldn't pull it through down the stretch. Patrick Beverly made a great defensive play on LeBron there. I know that was controversial because the ball, as it went out of bounds, supposedly the camera replay showed that LeBron was the last one to touch it. And the Clippers hold off, and they've won their first two out of the four matchups against the Lakers this year. So something just to keep in mind. And then you had Nuggets and Pelicans to wrap up your Christmas night. So not a great Christmas, although the schedule looked good, but certainly didn't turn out the way I'm sure ABC and the NBA landscape would have uh, liked. And then you had uh, Toronto beating Boston there on Saturday, so they certainly were able to get a little bit of revenge just a couple days later after the Christmas Day loss. And uh, other news and notes in the NBA, not really, I mean, that's pretty much what you have. You know, the NBA right now, on their best day, certainly did not shine. And it's unfortunate because everybody looks forward to those NBA games. I, I didn't really watch closely. I was out and about spending time with family and things of that nature. So I certainly didn't get a full grasp of it. Obviously, following it from afar, you kind of get an idea. Oh, okay. And, and, you know, Lakers, Clippers. But to me, you worry about that in late May and June. So even the Clippers sweep the Lakers. You still got to worry about a seven-game series with them down the road. But uh, standings are pretty much status quo for the most part. You know, Milwaukee certainly continue to carry the mail, even with the loss to Philadelphia on Christmas Day. Lakers pretty much the same, although they hit a little bit of a skid here where they lost four in a row, but they've come to win now two in a row during that stretch at the end of last week and, of course, culminating on Christmas Day where I'm sure everybody in Lincoln land was thinking the sky was falling, but still they're in control out west. And uh, that's what you pretty much had there as far as the NBA. Nothing really to chew on here as we uh, get a you know, closer to the new year. Now, as far as the NHL is concerned, you have the Winter Classic being played in Dallas of all places, which will be the Cotton Bowl. So if everybody was thinking, hey, is it going to be in Jerryland? No, it's not. Which, I mean, why would it be a Winter Classic if it's going to be played indoors? And even though I understand you could open the roof, but it's not going to have the same effect. And who knows if that's going to, that, that building's going to fill 100,000 hockey fans to watch a Winter Classic? I don't think so. So they're going to use the Cotton Bowl instead. So a little bit different because everybody's thinking Northeast or in the Midwest somewhere, whether it be Detroit or even Toronto, which Toronto had played Detroit in the past in the big house that one year. You know, obviously it's been played here in New York, Philadelphia, Boston, but this time Dallas gets a shot. So uh, that will be the one spectacle that we'll see as far as one of the major sports being represented. And then you had last night with the John Tortorella Cursing out the refs. And Tortorella, he's always, he's very spunky and feisty. And I understand he's not everybody's cup of tea. But, you know, he had a valid point there. Arguing with the clock and the referee. And then the losing in the shootout to Chicago. Uh, a few expletives. Banged the podium a couple of times. And he says, I'm not answering questions. Just stormed off. Now, should he have been a lot more professional and controlled to answer a couple of questions? Absolutely. But if anybody knows John Tortorella, obviously he's very fiery. Very passionate and, uh, of course, came on the short end of a loss there. So, obviously, he's going to take that personal, especially when the refs get involved. So, that's what you have there with the situation there with the NHL as far as just a couple of news and notes from the last couple of days. And then, obviously, moving forward with the Winter Classic there on Wednesday. But besides that, as we go through the standings real quick, Bruins are still at the top there in the East. It's kind of like the NBA. Capitals are now eight points ahead. Now, the Islanders still have those games in hand. But the Capitals are certainly continue to play well, have not stubbed their toe one bit. 
Arizona in that trade. I know last week they were in first place, and it's a logjam up there because in the Pacific, you're looking at three teams that are separated by, actually, well, Arizona's third place, but they're only separated by two points with three teams, but then Calgary's right behind them and Edmonton. And Edmonton has hit the skids a little bit. Remember, Edmonton pretty much got up to the hot start and were playing pretty well, and we talked about that quite a while ago with Connor David and Edmonton, that small town that, as we all know, when you go back to the 80s and early 90s, were the capital of Stanley Cups and their dynasty and everything that took place there at that time. Well, considering that they've had a top, the next top flight player in this league, if he's not already there, and they've uh, certainly hit the skids over the years, even with him in the lineup, despite making it to the postseason a couple years back where they went to a conference semifinal. But now, Edmonton hit the skids, but you would think with such a long season, there's still plenty of time to go. And St. Louis continues to play well, obviously, in the Central. I mean, that's what you have, people. And I know once now football starts to quiet down, we understand that the postseason is going to ratchet up and obviously it's going to headline a lot of these podcasts over the course of the next month. But you have the All-Star break that's coming up in a few weeks, for those who are into that. NBA will have their All-Star break next month. And we'll certainly delve more into these winter sports, as well as college basketball, too. And college basketball has a revolving door at the top. Now Gonzaga's your top seed. As you've seen, what is it now? Six teams. I believe it's an all-time record that you've had six teams that have rotated from number one overall in the country before New Year's Day. And that just goes to show you what type of college basketball season we're going to have up ahead as far as March Madness is concerned. Because you would think that the way this has gone on to this point, who knows who's going to make it to the Final Four. And you figured the cream was going to rise to the top as far as the Dukes of the world, the Michigan States, the Kansases, the Kentuckys, and Kansas had a little scare with their plane when they played Stanford and then flying back to Lawrence. They had to, 20 minutes in flight, they had to go back because of a, I believe, an engine problem. So thankfully that they were fine and they were able to get back to San Jose and I guess retool and get back home safely. So as we get deeper now, as we start the new year and no more regular season stuff with the NFL, obviously we'll... Touched a lot more on the winter sports, as I mentioned in the past, but even more so now as we get into the new year. All right, now we'll close it out with some baseball here as some free agents have made some signings over the course of the last week. I know last week we talked about Toronto signing Hyunjin Ryu to a four-year $80 million deal where he feels as if the Jays have a pursuit with the young core that they have. Obviously, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Kavan Biggio, Etc. So having him at the top of the rotation is certainly going to help. But again, he's in a division where he has the Yankees. And then you have the Red Sox who are also looking to pare down their payroll, believe it or not. But still, the Jays with their young nucleus are looking to see if they could build. And the first piece of that puzzle, especially the rotation, is having uh, Ryu in the mix. But other noteworthy news here throughout the Major League Baseball landscape Edwin Encarnacion signs with the White Sox. So the White Sox looking to continue to build their roster as they've done a lot this offseason with Yasmani Grandal. They re-signed Jose Abreu. They bring in Gio Gonzalez, signed Dallas Keuchel, now have Encarnacion in the mix. So I'm sure they're going to be an early season sexy favorite, especially with the over-unders are concerned. And that's one team that you'll keep your eye out for, especially in the NAL Central that right now, other than Minnesota, is up in the air. We don't know how... Good Minnesota can be, considering that they had 101 wins last year, and can they repeat that performance? Cleveland, of course, trading Corey Kluber, and who knows if Lindor is going to be out the door before the start of training camp or spring training. 
So the White Sox are looking to see if they could make some noise in the AL Central this upcoming season. You also have the Marlins. That's right, of all teams, the Miami Marlins, Francisco Cervelli and Corey Dickerson. Again, those are two fringe signings. Nobody's going to get crazy about it, but I guess for them, they're trying to show and prove that, hey, we are trying to compete and be a little bit of a destination here down in South Florida. Again, they need to have some all-star caliber players. I know Dickerson was an all-star a couple of years ago, I believe with the Rays, but and Cervelli obviously has been a serviceable catcher going back to his playing days as a Yankee, so Derek Jeter surely is very familiar with him. But the big signing, especially with the Mets, is Dellen Patances. One year, $10 million deal, could go up to 13 with incentives. And when he's on, he's one of the top few relievers in baseball. Now, he's not closer material in my eyes, We've seen that time and time again where he's foiled and failed at that position. But if he's going to be your eighth inning guy to set up Edwin Diaz, because Diaz is going nowhere, Met fans. If he could be that guy to bridge the gap, and who knows what you're going to get from Diaz next year. You got to see what his makeup is going to be like. Who knows if he had some sort of off-season training program or just got away. Let's see if New York is going to be for him. Hopefully we could just wash that one away. But I get that. Brody Van Wagenen is banking on Jairus Familia to have a bounce back year. Of course, Diaz, Justin Wilson, who's still one more year left on his deal. And now you have Batantis, who could be your eighth inning guy. And maybe your spot closer if Diaz falters. But uh, this was a no-brainer, if you ask me. The Mets certainly need to fortify their rotation, especially their back end of the bullpen. As we know, they blew a ton of games last year. And we know about their rotation from... The moves they made earlier this offseason, whether your name is Rick Porcello or Michael Waka. But now they got to see, and of course, you're going to look at Jake Marisnik, who is not much of an upgrade if you ask me at center field, but the Mets are banking on a lot next year. And that's to discuss some other time, but that's Brody rolling the dice, seeing if it could come up sevens and elevens. But uh, so far, other than J.D. Davis has come up snake eyes. And uh, But a, I thought a good move here. And Batances, we got to wonder about that Achilles. Hopefully that's uh, doing fine. I believe it was a strain. I don't believe it was a tear. Because obviously an injury like that certainly could take a long time. But if he can pitch to anywhere close to what he was in a Yankee uniform, where, again, the guy was one of the most dominant uh, closers or relievers, I should say, in baseball. If he could play or pitch up to that form, then uh, that's a steal. So uh, fingers crossed there as far as the Mets are concerned. And they still got a couple guys out there. Josh Donaldson, who knows where he's going to land. Marcelo Zuna, Yasiel Puig. Uh, I believe there's a couple others off the top of my head I can't recall. But you still have a couple of names out there that could make an impact on any team. And as we get uh, now into the new year, we'll see if they have a destination or a home that they could call. As we'll surely continue to monitor that. Now, of course, the Hero in Zero of the Week, as we uh, do each and every week to wrap this baby up. My hero of the week, I'm giving it to Zach Randolph. Now, I know early on in his career, he was surrounded with controversy, especially in his days in Portland, playing with the uh, Jailblazer group. And, of course, that one episode that he had, and maybe I'll pass on that episode that he uh, took some absence, uh, a leave of absence uh, regarding the death of a girlfriend's brother-in-law or something like that. But uh, he had a long career in the NBA, 17 years, playing on a bunch of teams, most notably Portland as well as Memphis toward the Latter part of his career was a multiple all-star, left-handed, went by the name of Zebo. He retires after 17 years of playing in the NBA. So anytime a guy retires, had a long career like that, 
Uh, definitely got to give him props. So he is my hero of the week. And my zero of the week is one-time NHLer and now NBCSN commentator Jeremy Roenick. Suspended indefinitely due to some inappropriate comments he made toward Patrick Sharp about being uh, good-looking and to also admitting having sex with, uh, I believe, a sideline reporter, which is just bad business on his part. That was uh, due to a podcast that he was a part of with Barstool Sports. And you know those guys at Barstool, they're going to try to dig up any type of dirt they can. And they certainly got Jeremy Roenick uh, at this point. And unfortunately, it led to his uh, being suspended indefinitely. So who knows how long he's going to be out. But certainly use some bad judgment there. Shouldn't have said what he stated at that time. And therefore, he is my zero of the week. So that's going to do it for 2019, my people. I hope you enjoyed not only this pod, but all the other ones prior to this one. As we lead into 2020 with new hopes, new dreams, new goals, aspirations for the podcast, I plan on taking it to heights unseen. And I will continue to do so week in and week out, hopefully twice a week. As I don't know if you got a chance to listen to my podcast last week with uh, LeVon Kirkland, one-time All-Pro linebacker in the NFL most notably for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So please, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, go back in the archives even early on. I had Kenny Anderson, Tony Delk. That's going back to the year prior. But I hope you enjoyed my analysis throughout the past year and some of the interviews that I was able to take place throughout the course of 2019 and beyond. And as always, if this is your first time listening and if you like what you heard and you said, hey, you know, it's Jay Reels. He's a little bit of a character. But guess what? You know, I'll keep coming back or come back periodically. Well, please, if you can participate and just go ahead and subscribe to this podcast on wherever you get your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, whatever it may be. If you can go ahead and just leave a rating, post a review, all that's going to do is just generate more interest, increase the visibility of this podcast amongst the many others, and in turn will generate a lot of interest for those outside who are not familiar with the J Reels podcast that if I'm looking for a former athlete, a current athlete, a broadcaster, sports writer, blogger, whatever it may be, who could come on the airwaves and share their experience of what uh, happened in their time being in the world of sports, whether it was on the field, on the court, or in the press box, or certainly in the booth. So please feel free to go ahead and do that, as well as hit me up on any of my social media accounts. If you want to do so, hit me up with a DM on Instagram. It's just jreels, J-A-Y-R-E-E-L-Z. J Reels 1, just the number on Twitter, the J Reels podcast on my Facebook fan page, and the J Reels podcast at gmail.com is the email address. Please feel free to write questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be. I'm certainly open to whatever it is you have to offer. And then lastly, any contributions you want to make toward the podcast, which goes to production of this podcast, some advertising, marketing, maybe even some merchandise down the road. You could do so on my Patreon page. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N dot com slash the J Reels podcast as I have a lot coming up the pike, people. And again, I'm a one-man operation doing this out of the love for you guys. And not only that, I just don't want to be that niche guy just to talk about fantasy sports, just football, basketball. I want to talk about it all. This is your one-stop shopping for sports, anything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Have a happy, healthy, prosperous, wealthy, safe 2020. Make sure you go in in grand style. 
be persistent, be consistent, be good to people, be kind, all that. And until next time on the J-Rills Podcast, Happy New Year, everybody. On the flip, baby.